Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's mentally yours for Melon and a so actually I'm no longer a brand consultant. As of January this year, I became the head of the mental health practice at Utopia, which is a culture change business. So Utopia works with companies to make them more inclusive, to make them happier, to make them healthier. And my role within their business is to lead the mental health practice because what they realized was that when they went to talk to businesses about how they might become more inclusive, whether that's inclusive of gender, sexual orientation, ability, or race and ethnicity, there's always like another side to that where there is the impact of exclusion. Um, and the impact of, upon people's mental health. And they knew me at Utopia, the two founders, I knew them. Um, I was out there um, telling my own story um, and talking about mental health and teaching a course that I teach. And we just came, we've got a really great relationship. They, they saw the need within their client groups um, and we came together. And in, as of January, I'm head of the mental health practice at Utopia. But I spent many years in marketing, um, PR, all that stuff that's supposedly quite sexy, and it was for a while, um, but it also, you know, the highs and lows of that are um, all the kind of nice parties and all the kind of connections you're building and all of that stuff. Um, but I, I also was battling it and, and kind of hiding my mental health struggles during that time as well. So I phased out my kind of agency life and became a brand consultant for a while. Um, and I'm happy to say that um, as of kind of like towards the end of last year, um, I'm now kind of 90 to 100% mental health. So Emma, did you say you started this new job at Utopia in January? And I does did. that mean that you have kind of done the weird adjustment of, oh, a pandemic is here and now everything has to change? 
Wow. How has that been for you? <laughs> Let me tell you. It's been interesting <laughs> for sure. You know, I've been working with Utopia for some time um, in a freelance capacity. So I'd got used to kind of the work. I'd got to meet some of the clients. I was really excited about the role. I started in January. Um, and then obviously what has happened has happened. And what I will say is that working in mental health, and we also work in inclusion, and I am a woman of color, I am biracial. It's been a really interesting um, time, both personally and professionally. And I'd say that there's a Venn diagram for both of those things in terms of my experience in recent months, because the demand has been really high. Uh, where mental health used to be something that people wanted to talk about on World Mental Health Day or Mental Health Awareness Week as they're bringing in the yoga teachers and the puppies um, and doing all those nice things, um, it's become more central, I would say, to um, the way that a business is operating, awareness and support and holding safe spaces for employees. So I've been really busy. I was initially very worried as things started to happen. You know, I'm in a new job in a small business, um, wondering what it would look like for all of us. But um, it's been a busy time for me. What does a culture change business actually do in terms of working with people? So what we do is often we'll go to a business that might be quite a large size, could be global or could just be could just be big within terms of kind of UK um, businesses. And what might happen is if they've been around for a long time, they might have quite a homogenous leadership. So that's a leadership that tends to look like one person, like one thing. So there may not be a lot of diversity at senior level. And that echoes through the business. So you will have a business where other people are trying to fit in with what they think is expected of leadership. And people aren't able to show up as their full selves. People are covering their identities, whether that's their um, sexuality or feeling like they can't show up as their full selves as a person of color, or whatever that means. Um, And you might get cultures where people just aren't able to perform their best because they're spending so much time um, hiding who they really are. And we work with companies that either recognize that or really are brave enough to go on an inclusion journey where they want to have more people, they want to be more representative of the population. And so we work with them um, strategically. We do go in and do workshops that might be about inclusion, um, but we really work at the most senior level to create strategies that can kind of drive change throughout the business. And some clients we've been working with for two and three years now, um, helping them to really change the shape and the face of their business. I like what you said there about kind of the strain of not being able to be your true self at work. Mm. What's the mental health impact of that, whether that is your racial identity, your gender identity? What kind of impact can it have to not be authentic at work? Um, we know that 61% of people feel like they're co- they need to cover their identity at work in the UK. And we know, we, I mean, we've, we've heard from people directly that covering may mean, you know, taking a lot of energy in people over-presenting themselves at presenteeism, like feeling really anxious about being discovered, meaning that in conversations with colleagues, um, you're navigating certain topics. So if you're not, if you're, um, let's say, um, gay and you're not openly gay and people within your family don't know, and therefore people within your business don't know, and then people are asking you about your partner um, or your family situation, that might be something that you, you, it's front of mind for you as you're trying to navigate mm. those conversations and not show show who you really are. Or if you're from an ethnic minority and you're going into a business and you're constantly being othered. I mean, in my experience, you know, I just go into a building um, as Emma or into a meeting, virtual meeting now as Emma. 
But then somebody will just remind me that actually um, I'm mixed race. Um, and they'll do that either by commenting on my hair or, you know, maybe touching my hair or making some kind of comment that just reminds me that I'm different from them. And for some people, that may mean turning down, you know, like policing your tone. So people mm-hmm. might tell you that, you know, you're aggressive or you're angry. Um, and that really can come down to their unconscious bias. But it might mean that you start to speak less um, or change the tone of your voice um, or the way that you hold your body or the way that you um, react to certain things. And it can be really, really exhausting. Honestly, mm-hmm. the feeling of being left out for, for many people specifically, you know, I, I'm doing a lot of work at the moment with people, um, black and indigenous people of color who are sharing their experiences with me, their workplace experiences, but also we're discussing the fact that before some people even get to the office, they've experienced microaggressions. You know, I work with a colleague who almost every time he would say that he gets onto the underground, he will see people move their belongings away from him into a safer, what they think is a safer place in case he's going to steal things from them. And this is something that he experiences regularly. And that's before he even gets into a meeting. So really the impact is exhaustion, frustration, um, feeling angry. Um, and in more recent times, um, it's been traumatic for obvious reasons. Um, and there've been a lot of difficult conversations that have been, um, uncomfortable, um, for people who've, who've not been heard for a very long time. So yes, um, not feeling like you belong will really impact your mental health. So how can businesses bring about sort of effective and lasting change? Because, I mean, we've all sort of seen lots of businesses and brands put up um, black squares and things on Instagram after um, black, the Black Lives Matter sort of movement massively sort of started trending um, earlier this year. Um, but what can brands actually do, or businesses and brands, what can they actually do to change in the long run? I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not the inclusion specialist within the business. So for me, I can just speak to um, mental health specifically. And what I would say is that a lot of companies um, are now having very difficult conversations with their employees. Um, and that the, some of these conversations are being handled quite clumsily or they're not being handled at all. Um, and what I would say is that creating safe spaces for people to be heard is really important. And it might be that they're moderated and facilitated by an external partner. That's some of the work that I've been doing, um, just creating spaces for employees to share their experiences. And it's been really like the feedback has been that that these sessions have allowed people to be seen and to belong and to show up as they really are. Um, in some cases, for the first time in which they, some people have worked in a business for a, a long, long time. So I think really listening to people um, and not seeking to um, just move on. Um, and in doing so we can invalidate people's experiences. Um, I think creating those safe spaces is something that's really, really important, but also, um, from an inclusion perspective, I mean, there are other people within my business that would speak to this, um, better than I can. Um, but I think leadership have to own the strategy and there will be people, there will be people within businesses now that, um, assigning pledges and wanting to become part of action groups or, um, you know, black employee resource groups um, or BAME resource groups. And they are great. They allow um, people to come together and share their experiences and drive change. But without senior leadership on board, and I mean on board in the most committed and serious ways in terms of investment and their own time, 
um, it's unlikely that change will be driven. I think with change, it's kind of seen as this massive, difficult thing as it is. But now with coronavirus and virtual working, etc., it's maybe gone to kind of the back of people's minds and they don't see it as as much of a pressing issue. Could you explain a bit about why it's still very much important to care about workplaces, mental health, and maybe even more important to check in with workers? I've seen a real change in this time, I would say, Um, Mm. as I kind of said at the beginning. It used to be, you know, when I started at Utopia, we have a really good suite of products. I would say that we have doubled um, the number of those products and gone deeper with them. Um, Having really found um, that clients themselves, like the senior leaders that you used to talk to and go and have a meeting with about some of your workshops, knew that mental health um, awareness and initiatives were important for their employees, but perhaps sometimes they hadn't had their own experiences um, of Mm. poor mental health or they didn't want to be vulnerable. And I think what we've seen during the pandemic are leaders leaning into vulnerability. So on calls, um, you know, we've seen kids running into the room, people struggling to juggle work um, and personal life and leaders being very open and honest about that and curious about the experiences that is of their employees. I mean, I think people just show up to the office before um, the pandemic and we didn't really know too much about their lives. And now we're getting a window into their lives. We're knowing that some people live in house shares with people where perhaps relationships have broken down and that things have been quite difficult for everybody. And what we've therefore seen is just more understanding and therefore um, a request um, for more mental health initiatives within business. I've certainly seen that. And I think that's something that will continue. I don't think this is a passing phase. I am seeing change within mental health. That's fantastic. And kind of a weirdly positive effect of the pandemic. If it's okay to say that. I think, yeah, I would say that the the vulnerability that people in leadership are showing um, and the commitment to mental health is certainly positive. What I think we also have to be aware of is that this return to work, whatever it looks like, will not signal the end of anything, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Psychiatrists are recording an increase um, in mental health problems and seeing people um, who may not previously have been to see a doctor, um, people are, are being diagnosed, uh, more people are being diagnosed. We've seen lots of statistics around the increase in anxiety. Um, and I think that this is something that will continue um, as people you know, adjust. People have been on furlough. People have been out of work completely. And if they haven't, perhaps their partner or their friend has. And so I think we've got to be looking to the long term um, with mental health and create initiatives that can last for the longer term. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very easy, to be honest, um, for workplaces or sort of businesses in general to talk the talk in terms of mental health stuff. It's, it's really about mm. um, how we can set up ways to support people long term, I think. Um, Exactly. Yeah, agreed. And I think one of those ways is, you know, it's great if you have, um, you know, a feel good Friday in your office where the beers come out or, you know, we, we go and do some things together. But what I've often seen when I've gone into offices, I usually get called in around the um, international days where um, there are mental health awareness days, is that often the room is kind of like a third to 50% full Because people are chained to their desks and they really want to be there, but they're afraid of their boss or, you know, they're overworked and they can't make that space. HR are doing some great initiatives for them, but they can't always show up. Um, Or the culture 
isn't inclusive or the boss is not very nice. Um, and so mental health initiatives can be really good. Um, you know, I think anybody that wants to invest in them is doing a good thing, but you have to be aware of the overall culture and the role that it plays on impacting somebody's mental health. The two go hand in hand. Mm, absolutely. I do agree with Ellen, though, in a way though, that in in some ways there's been a, a small silver lining to the pandemic in that it's yeah. changed our work culture and it's made people a lot more open to the idea of working from home. It's proved that people can work from home very effectively because, I mean, I know from myself sort of beforehand, um, it could sometimes be quite difficult talking to, to people about working from home when sort of having a long-term mental health issue. Um, but now I think if it's done one thing, it's at least shown bosses that you can work from home and still get everything done and get it done well. Yeah, and I think we're seeing that. And I think that's a really positive thing. But then there are also those who are reporting that in some places, and you know, we can't speak for every business, there are bosses who don't trust their employees. Mm. um, And because they can't see them, um, there's kind of this reporting thing that's happening and people feeling like they need, because they're not getting the feedback loop that they might have in the office, they're feeling like they need to work harder and show up more when actually perhaps what they need is rest. Um, so I think there are definitely positives to it. Um, but I think there are all, also people for whom working from home has been a bit of a challenging, challenging experience. Oh, yeah. I've definitely heard from a lot of people who said, like, I've ended up working massive overtime mm. because there's no separation between kind of work and home. And I think yeah. another thing that's worrying me a bit at the moment is there's such a push for people to get back to the offices. And I'm wondering if you think... I don't know how to put it, if the rush could be problematic for people and how we could maybe deal with that. I think um, in terms of going back to work, I think it's good for some people. So there are some people, um, particularly where you may have a lot of younger employees um, who might be in house shares where the working situation isn't ideal and where actually their community and their friends are within the workplace. For them, it might be quite a good option to be able to go into work if it's safe, if social distancing is possible, if all the hygiene and all the rules are followed. I think for some people um, who are missing that connection, it could be a really good thing. I think we do have to acknowledge that for some people who might previously have experienced mental health problems, I mean, I can speak for myself, I've battled depression and anxiety uh, for a number of years in my life um, and I've been in a really good place. And then the pandemic came and my anxiety and kind of um, some rituals started to happen around cleaning um, really started to impact me. And the thought then of, oh, we're all going back. Everybody was, you know, it's appeared in my kind of work corner of social media that people were really excited about the idea of, you know, just getting over this and getting back. For me, it was quite unnerving when all the no- news that I'd seen was around um, distance and um, the importance of hygiene, to think that I might be in a situation where I can't control that, for me, was quite anxiety-inducing. And I think I'm not alone in that. There are I mean, people who are ready personally. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> on a personal level, mm. seeing everyone rushing back to the pubs and getting on public transport has been, for me, terrifying. Yeah, and I, I think that's perfectly valid. Um, you know, the news cycles we've seen, not just the news cycles, we all know somebody who's had coronavirus 
uh, we may even know people who've passed away or people at least who've been very, very unwell. And um, it's completely valid. All of the feelings that we have around it are completely valid. So I think there are, there are people for whom going back to work will be a good thing. And there'll be those for whom it might be quite daunting, even frightening, even traumatizing. And I think we need to be open to supporting people, whatever their choice may be. How can workplaces kind of support people in the different ways that they might respond to being asked to come back to work? I think firstly, it's a question. I know some businesses, one of the businesses that I'm working with at the moment, who I love working with, they're brilliant. I've sent out a survey asking people what their preference would be and what that might look like. You know, do you want to go to the office five days a week, four days a week, three days a week, kind of looking, respecting the nuances um, and the di- and the different things. I mean, you have people as well who just can't afford to live in central London. So for them, mm. traveling in um, brings its own set of complications with the regularity of transport and how busy it's going to be. Would people rather travel in off peak? So I think the companies that are open to having that dialogue rather than enforcing rules are off to a bit of a head start as well. Um, and I think those that are really doing the training to make sure that when people come back in, um, or even if they don't, that there are people within the business that are trained to have what can be awkward conversations is really important. I mean, we I teach a program that's all about having awkward conversations. People do not look forward to talking to people about mental health. Even people who are trained to do so um, may find it challenging if there's a crisis. So I think having people that are trained within the business is important, but also having the relevant, and I'm saying relevant because it might be culturally relevant, third-party support for their business. I mean, one of the things that we've seen in recent time is people being referred to EAP numbers. That's the Employee Assistance Program. There's a number that people are given to call. And the business, if you ask somebody in the business, often they don't know who the service provider is that the person's about to call. And are they culturally appropriate? Are, they, are those providers able to support the black employees that are feeling traumatized um, or employees with other needs? So I think it's really just doing an audit of those things, checking you've got people in the business, doing a survey, whether that's um, a digital survey or an in-person conversation and being open to reviewing that as well. Because I think there may be people that get excited to go back to the office, but that may change. So I think keeping the dialogue open is really important as well. It's a really tough time though, isn't it? Because obviously we're in a recession and a lot of people will be worried about potentially losing Mm. their jobs or losing shifts or or Mm. basically losing money, basically. And I think some people will be feeling that they have to go back to work or they have to sort of do whatever their boss is specifically um, or they'll lose their job. Do you have any advice Mm. sort of from the other side um, in terms of if you're an employee and you want to have a difficult conversation with a manager about that? Yeah. Do you know what? I can offer advice. I think it is really difficult because businesses do vary. I'm lucky that I work with some brilliant businesses that um, have open forums Mm. for people to have conversations with them. But I also remember what it is myself to be a junior member in a new job and fearful of that. Um, I think if you can put your hand up and say that you're struggling you should. You should look to the resources that companies can offer. I remember working in a business myself post breakdown. I got a new job and I had a great um, opportunity to, you know, have some of the, the healthcare provisions that were made. But I was so frightened that anyone in the business might find out and that I could be seen as unfit to do my job. I think just being really um, aware of the fact that 
the partnerships that companies have are confidential. And if you're in a situation where a business doesn't have support for you, perhaps looking at some of the ways that you might be able to find some support. Um, There are some great organizations um, that offer affordable therapy now um, and also going to see your GP um, for support, whether that's through CBT or talk therapy is something that you might be able to do for yourself. As someone who has kind of gone through it personally and also is now doing it professionally, is there anything that you've seen that managers or workplaces have done that you think are really brilliant and really could be helpful for people's mental health? Yes. Um, I would say that I'll, I'll just kind of say the same first thing again. I think what I've been really inspired by are the businesses where people that you might have seen in your industry and look to as kind of um, the North Star in terms of what we want to achieve are changing. It used to be, I mean, I'm 41 now. um, And when I started out my career, it was all this kind of work hard, play hard. um, Don't say that you need kind of time off or any, you know, and I, I kind of worked myself into the ground following leaders that operated in that way. And what I've started to see are a number of leaders kind of putting their head above the parapet and saying, I've been in therapy or I've got anxiety or I have experienced depression. And just opening up those conversations from the top means that other people will see that and feel like they can also have their the same conversation. So I think that's been really good. Um, opening um, listen, what we call listening sessions has been really good. We've got a number of clients that have opened the door to us going into their companies and sitting with their employees virtually and holding space for them to share their thoughts and feelings um, in a supported environment has kind of sent a signal to people that they've been seen as more than just um, being part of a production line. During this pandemic, it's been really, really um, inspiring um, when businesses have kind of said, you know what, we're going to invest in this. We want our our, our teams to have um, support and we will bring in, you know, what I do is, um, you know, I'm a mental health first aid instructor, so I, I know how to teach people and support people when it comes to having difficult conversations. But where we need to bring in psychotherapists, we will, and just make sure that people have the appropriate support. I don't know if you, um, <laughs> and I'm really embarrassed about the first question, to be honest, um, getting that wrong, but are you still working on surviving Sundays or is that something you've moved away from now? Oh, no. I mean, surviving Sundays is my love it is um it is the thing that i love to do but it's the thing that doesn't pay me um and so um within my week i find one day um where i can create content for surviving sundays but that is the place that ultimately led to where i am now so um just briefly just to tell you a little bit about how that came about mm. um i'd been hiding so from the age of about 14 I started to identify um, mental health difficulties. Obviously, when you're younger, you don't have the emotional language or, um, you know, the awareness of what's going on with you. But I knew that I felt different. I knew that I often felt sad um, and and very worried. I wouldn't call it anxious then. And that was a start of um, disordered eating. That started when I was 14. That went on until I was 18 and it became quite severe. But I spent 20 years running away from that 14-year-old girl who never felt like she belonged anywhere, um, experiencing depression and anxiety at periods throughout my life. And I escaped that. I escaped her through working and partying because that was my other special skill, my other superpower. Um, And 
I kind of thrived in work because that was the only place that I got any validation. Your boss might tell you that you've done a great job or you might go on and do award-winning um, campaigns and work with great teams, which is what I went on to do. And it really helped me to hide. But at the age of 34, eight years ago, I had a breakdown. Um, a, a breakup in my life, a personal breakup led to a breakdown. And in that moment, all of the demons that I've been running away from for 20 years came to me and I couldn't escape them. I was really, very, very unwell for a few months. Um, during that time, Sundays were my worst day of the week. Um, I would uh, stay in all weekend um, and hide from people or I would have gone out on a Friday and blown my weekend up. Either way, Sundays were awful because on Monday, I knew people at work would ask me, how my weekend was and I would lie and say great or fine and just try and move them on. So I went on a, a huge recovery journey. My breakup ne- and my breakdown nearly killed me. Um, and I survived. I survived Sundays by creating small rituals, started with a walk. Um, I felt paralyzed by my emotions, but starting with a 10 minute walk around the block, I went on to walk in the park near my house in Kensington for hours at a time, uh, playing a game of dogs that look like their owners, which made me feel less alone. Um, And I went on to do small things for myself, like making breakfast in bed and just rebuilding my self-esteem and confidence. So surviving Sundays was an important part of my um, routine and my well-being, along with therapy. And six years later, so two years ago, I went public um, and spoke about my experiences in my blog, Surviving Sundays, which is now a community of people. And it's just really important to me. You know, I've been somebody that worked in media and marketing, that wore the nice clothes, that did celebrity partnerships, that organized sexy parties in Cannes and Austin at South by Southwest, always doing that with a big smile, big hair and nice clothes, but who ultimately was hiding. And Surviving Sunday was just a place for me to, to be honest um, but it wasn't really about me. And today is a platform where anyone can talk about their mental health problem, no matter what it is. And it's just really important to me that people don't think that a mental health problem is simply having a diagnosis, let's say, like psychosis or being at rock bottom in bed. People can have a heartbreak, lose a job. There could be many reasons why people experience poor mental health. And so that's what Surviving Sundays is for. But it changed the course of my life because. It reconnected me with Nadia and Daniele, who own Utopia, um, and then I went out as a public speaker and storyteller. So it got me where I am now. Completely off topic, but the dogs that look like their owners game sounds (laughs) fantastic. It's one one of my favourite games to play. So this is goodbye from Mentally Yours. So go away and try your day, get on with all from mentally, 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 mentally If you've been affected by any of the issues we've discussed today, please contact the Samaritans on 116-123 or go to their website at samaritans.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give us a rate or review. Five stars would be lovely. Also, if you've enjoyed this, come and have a chat to us on Facebook. We've got a group called Mentally Yours. Also, we have a Twitter, which is Mentally YRS. See you next time. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365 day returns. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.